Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, is she a true friend and a devoted daughter? Or is she a cunning killer? We'll review the NBC dramatization of its own podcast, The Thing About Pam. Joining me to get that done and more is a true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, The Love of My Life, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, finally... Finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball, here in person. Hello, Toby. I'm back, Rebecca. How are you feeling, Toby Ball? I'm getting there. Yeah? You feeling well enough to record some podcasts with us tonight? Yes or no? Uh, Yeah, well, we'll see, I guess. But yeah. (laughs) I don't want to cause like friction, but I will point out that Toby went away for two weeks. Yes. Came back for one week. Yeah. Got COVID, went away for another week. Yes. And still gets paid the same amount as Laura Bricker. Sway <laughs> <laughs> yep. goes. Oh. Yeah, it's true. Wow. That's true. Hey, uh, Laura, just be glad you don't get 85 cents to Toby's dollar, all oh, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Toby came to Exeter for Lit Fest, so he's in my good graces right yeah, now. Yeah, you owe him. Plus, you guys uh, thought he was, like, naked when he signed on tonight, so that's 100%. sort of- 100%. Toby's wearing this this flesh-colored T-shirt, which would have been a really badass chest tattoo right in the middle, yeah. right? It's just, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Is it a tree or is it like... It's like a tree that's set up like that Michelangelo, whatever it is, the Andalusian wow. man. It looks whatever. like the logo of a Unitarian church. It's, it's uh, I think it's an EMS shirt. I don't know. I liked it better when we thought Toby was naked, though. I it's very eco. Yeah. I would have added Pretty some tribal, excitement yeah. to this podcast. Yeah. Then it would seem like I didn't have any nipples, which would be weird. <laughs> Toby, did you listen to last week's episodes, either one of them? 
I listened to the beginning of the first episode. Oh, so you didn't hear the second episode on which we did an analysis of whether or not sometimes you show up looking like a little boy with rumpled hair and like you a You did that in the t-shirt? first episode. <laughs> you said sometimes I look like a sad little long-haired boy. Yes. And sometimes you show up with guns looking like a super hot man. Which one do you think you are this time? I'm just curious. Um, he's a super hot man with no nipples. I'm going to shoot low and say sad boy. Sad long-haired boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like. I don't wear a wig. I don't know how all this happens. But mm. well, we know you're not 100, percent but we're very glad that you're doing better Thrilled. and uh, happy that you're here. Thrilled. Thank you. I'm ready Thrilled. for action. Well, we can't wait to talk to you about today's topic. But Kevin, before we do that, what is coming up on the next episode of Crime Writers on? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about season four of the podcast from WBEZ Chicago. Motive. That's going to be a good one, right? Yeah. Well, I think we should get into this episode's review. It's going to be a juicy one. Should we begin? Let's do it. Let's drop that first clip. A terrible story, too often told. Dead wife, guilty husband feigning grief. Open and shut a story like that. Easy to judge the book by its cover. You'd think what happened on Sumac Drive was at the hands of Russ Faria. And you'd be wrong. When Betsy Faria was murdered in 2011, police aggressively pursued her husband, Russ. And an overly eager DA put him away with the help of her star witness, Betsy's BFF, Pam Hupp. What happened to Betsy was hard on me, too. Probably more than anyone. Except maybe Betsy. And people still say, Pam, she's blah, blah, blah. But everyone knows it was her husband. But the evidence points to Pam, who took Betsy's life insurance. And while bad things continue to befall people around her, TV news magazines home in on Pam and her web of lies. She's family. She's there for you. She's your neighbor. She's your friend from church. She's the one you never see coming. But that's the thing about Pam. Renee Zellweger stars in The Thing About Pam, the six-part NBC dramatization based on the NBC podcast based on the NBC news magazine Dateline. With the droll narration of journalist Keith Morrison, the show goes full in for camp, playing up the quirky nature of the story's personalities and plot twists in a crime that America can't seem to get enough of. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about the well-trod plot points from The Thing About Pam. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. If you haven't been spoiled already. (laughs) (laughs) So, Toby, last time you were on a show, we talked about a piece of media undercurrent on HBO that balanced the story of the victim perfectly in a dramatization of a real-life crime And in this story, there is a victim who is a character in the show. And I actually found myself initially in the show being very, very uncomfortable with the dramatization of the victim. But then she just really isn't a factor. So what did you think about that? Because Betsy Faria is a character in the show and she's a real life person. And I don't know if you listened to the episode that we recorded last week about the girl from Plainville, in which I was extremely offended that the thing was even made. Uh, when I started watching this, I started feeling some of those ooky feelings come back. They disappeared for some reason in this. Not sure why. Um, and I'm wondering if you can clarify that for me, because Betsy is kind of a non-presence in this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I had the same 
sort of feeling you did in that, you know, you start it, and, and I, I assume we'll be talking about this a lot, but you start it and you're like, why are they doing this? And, you know, the victim, at least in the first episode, I think for the most part, you see her body at the at the scene. And I have the same reservations, right? Is that why did you have to use like an actual real case that is well known and then stick to all these details in something where you're also... You know, they've got like a weird song and dance thing at the beginning. I'm a businesswoman. I do business all the time. Flip houses, turn a profit. I'm real successful. I'm a pillar of the community. She's a pillar of the community. Thanks, Jer. Great guy. That's weird to me. It doesn't come off quite as badly, I think, as the girl from Plainville because... You know, in The Girl from Plainville, there's so much that's taking place with these two, like, kind of tragic, mentally ill teenagers that, to me, was really, really difficult to take, knowing that they were real and seeing them do, like, a glee thing to Ario Speedwagon, and all. It, it just seemed really tasteless in that way. But in this, because the victim is so marginalized and that the focus is really on other people, like, maybe that makes it seem... Like, if you're going to do it this way, maybe that decision is what makes it a little bit more easy to take, is that you're not spending much time trying to do something campy that has the victim centered. It's all about these, like, crazy people in the small town, and then these two city lawyers who show up and try and figure out what's going on. Kevin, I just almost felt like you had the same feeling when we started watching it. We were like, is this weird? Is this okay? But then, for me, it was almost like... This was so meta. It was a meta of a meta of a meta. And like when Keith Morrison came in narrating it, I was like, what the fuck is actually <laughs> going on? Right? Yeah. I mean, that point that Toby and you are making has to be discussed within this framework that they have gone full camp yeah. and they are embracing all of the peculiar aspects of not just the case, but of Pam herself. And while Pam is certainly the focus of, I guess we'd say, the comedy. It wasn't just sort of later that I I started to feel a little uncomfortable about the glee in which Pam is interacting in funny ways, but with a real victim. Yep. Now, I don't really think they ever made Betsy the butt of a joke, but she does kind of get pulled in to this whole, it's light and funny. Absurd, and isn't it abs- yeah. yeah. Isn't this absurd? Like the the five different ways she talks, Pam talks about like what happened that night. And it doesn't disqualify it, it for me, but I sort of halfway through, I'm kind of like, huh, this is almost too fun to go without sort of the consequences of feeling ashamed a little bit mm-hmm. by it. And they also kind of do the same thing with Lewis, who he's the shooting victim that just kind of gets pulled into this. There is a fine line between laughing at the absurdity of Pam's alibi and her story, like portraying Lewis as this ninja and doing all these spins and stuff, and a fine line between that and laughing at a murder victim with physical disabilities. So, I don't know, do they find the balance? Maybe. I don't know. It's it's an argument that any, you know, you could take either side on. Yeah. What do you think about the campiness of this, Laura? Because it goes all the way. And I, I'm i just going to tell you straight up, I, I made the choice myself. There are a lot of things that made me very uncomfortable about this. The portrayal of the victims as comedy items, the fat shaming, which we'll talk about. But I made the choice myself 
to give in to this show at some point. I can't remember exactly when it was I made that choice, but at some point watching this show, I was just like, fuck it, I'm giving in. That was my my choice. I opted yeah. in and I was like, I'm just doing it. I'm letting myself go to the thing about Pamness of this. Uh, and I was like, kind of liking it. What, what was your feeling though about the fact that they did like really commit because they did not... They fully committed to the camp here. Oh, yeah. And that's what you were saying before is you you gave in. Well, it was because it was really easy to watch. And it was so ridiculous that it was easy to watch. So I kept watching. But, you know, I felt like the character of Pam as played by Renee Zellweger was like so exaggerated that it was exaggerated to the point that it was just ridiculous with like the big gulps, how she's got her hand on the big freeze all the time. The facial expressions, the way she's talking. Yeah, exactly. I think the only reason that any of it works is because Renee Zellweger is in this role. I don't think it would have worked if somebody else was in the role. Could you please read the letter in front of you? No, I can't read that. I need my glasses from my husband. So you gave law enforcement incorrect information? Yes, that is a correct statement. Uh, there are also other statements in there that... Do not say that. My question is, by leaning into that campiness and this just over the top, like we've got these crazy reenactments, we've got this thing where like when she starts, when Pam starts telling one of the stories of what she says happened, which is always a lie, and starts, well, and then this happened. And then you see the actual people acting it out. And all of a sudden, they're opening their mouths. But Pam's voice is coming out. And it just gets more and more absurd. But I guess what I was kind of thinking was, I know we're leaning into Dateline, and I know this is based on the Dateline story, but did this adaptation sort of miss the chance to actually shed some light more on the psyche of Pam Hupp rather than making her into like a caricature, which is basically what she was in the show? Right. But what would that have added? That's my question, Laura. Like, would that have added anything for you? Like, would Toby have liked that? Would Laura, would Kevin have liked that? Would I have, would you have liked that? Would you have wanted like no. a deep dive into the psyche of Pam Hupp? Would that have actually been interesting for you? And that's what my question is. I said, like, does anyone actually really care about that? Because this was just like this campy, easy to watch, ridiculous version. Just so much of this was just so off the deep end in terms of how exaggerated it was that, I mean, that wasn't necessarily the forum to get deep into Pam Hupp. But at the same time, there were actual people that were murdered and that were victims in this case. And how do they feel about this? But you know, Laura, I think that in the true crime world, this particular story is singular in the manner that the way it was treated and is consumed on Dateline and in the podcast and then this story, because the way the podcast was is that it was a lot of Keith Morrison. He was certainly the highlight of, you know, the way the story was told. Pam is a quirky, self-absorbed character. She's different from a lot of other characters. And so there there was a tone to the podcast that if you don't try to build off of that for a TV show, then yeah. why do the thing about Pam? You know, you could do something completely different about the case, which I think is different from what we're going to see in The Staircase and Under the Banner of Heaven, which is coming out, and like what we saw with the girl from Plainville. I think that that's why this is different. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a really good point, but it also makes me wonder about the original treatment of, of the case. Sure. That if the only way you can fictionalize the way it was originally covered is by making it campy, 
you know, and I haven't watched much Dateline. Most of the Dateline I've consumed has been for this show. But in some ways, I thought the most interesting part of this whole series was the fact that Dateline was willing to kind of lend its name to this and that they were comfortable with this portrayal of a crime and not just the crime itself, but the way the people in the community were portrayed, the way the defense was portrayed, the way the prosecutor and the police were portrayed, like all those things, you know, I don't know if they're indicative of a lot of Dateline stuff, but for a show that's like a true crime show to be like, you know what, for our first ever fiction prestige thing, we're totally signing off on the way these different factions are being shown. I thought that was super interesting. I don't know if it's good or bad, but just the whole time I was like, oh my God, like it's such a reversal of what you're used to, which is usually in these things, like the city people come to the country and they like get some good old country values and fall Mm -hmm. in love with somebody and realize they've left the, you know, the city isn't all that they thought it would be. And this is the exact opposite. Like these two city slicker lawyers show up and they're like, what in God's name is going on here? (laughs) Um, The two Utes. You're in their eyes, right? I mean, they're they're the reliable narrator in this entire thing is these two city lawyers. And I thought that was really interesting too. I mean, I think this is, this to me seemed a lot more interesting than the girl from Plainville. Like the choices they make are a little bit counter to what I would have expected. And I thought that's what kind of kept my interest. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. All right, guys, let's take a break and do some business. I can't wait to do some business. All right, uh, play the music. Don't forget I, the music. I just started it. Oh. All right, we're going to start with the Crime Writers on After Show. This week, we are talking about the latest plagiarism controversy in true crime podcast world. Plagiarism, when I'm just taking your whole article and making my whole (laughs) podcast about it, even though you worked on it for nine years. Is that plagiarism? No. And, you know, by the way, I found out, and we can talk about this later, but... uh, my book was the source of a new podcast. It was. A new podcast episode, yes. Oh, my God, yes. 
By the way, I got nothing for that. Yes, so. and you have no clout, so if you tweet about it, nobody's going to fucking nothing's, care. Yeah, nothing's <laughs> going to happen. You can get on Patreon the latest episode of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. You to- mean Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Yes. Yes, before Toby knew he was uh, terribly sick, he was able to get in a great discussion with three of our all-time favorite guests, and they talked about the book, The Library Book. Which is a real book. It's a real book. You can get it at the library, but uh, you know maybe it's better to buy it at a store. Toby, tell us a little bit about our guests. I coughed my way through a, <laughs> uh, a fun conversation with uh, Dr. Shiloh from LA Not So Confidential Podcast. Sarah D. Bunting, who you all know, and Janet Varney. And we had a super interesting discussion. Both Janet and Shiloh are from L.A. and are very familiar with the L.A. library, mm-hmm. which I've never been to. So it's kind of interesting how that colored the conversation a little bit and their enthusiasm. And there's a lot of, you know, between the two of them, they had some interesting kind of behind the scenes information that I think enhanced my understanding of the book. So people should check it out. It was fun. Yeah, so that's great. If you want all of that stuff, plus... 175 exclusive episodes. And you're going to get all of immediately. All of immediately. 50 episodes of Leave it to Bricker and Toby Balls. Wow, yeah. Laura. We've been doing it a while. You can just join us at Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends. Thus ends. The, the business, business section. section. Toby, I just want to say what you were talking about, about this being more interesting than you expected. I completely agree with you. I just want to address one thing that we talked about a little bit ago before we move on to the other things about it that are positive and interesting. One thing to me that is negative and interesting, uh, and I think a poor choice, was the decision to focus so much on Renee Zellweger's fat suit to make Pam Hupp's weight which, frankly, in real life is not extraordinary and should never be extraordinary for anybody, period. But to make the fat suit itself such a character in the story and to make the focus on Pam Hupp's appearance such a character in the story, I found that unsettling and unnecessary and dumb. It it plays no role, by the way, in any aspect of the story. There's no reason to in any way focus on Pam Hupp's appearance in any way in the story. If anything, if you're going to focus on some aspect of Pam Hupp's appearance, it should be on Pam Hupp's face because Pam Hupp used some of that money to get plastic surgery on her face, which they don't really talk about at all in the show. But instead, the show, not only do they put Renee Zellweger in a fat suit for no reason, but there were all these low shots of Renee Zellweger walking like a big uh, blimp balloon clown for no reason. Of course, there are all the shots of her drinking the giant big gulp soda for no reason. And I am just incredibly offended that the last genre of shaming humor that is allowed in America and in the world that everyone thinks is acceptable in a world where we are increasingly agreeing that nothing like this is acceptable is making fun of fat people. I just don't think it's fucking cool, and I am not fucking cool with the fact that this show leans so heavily. Don't forget stuttering, too. That's still something people feel like they can laugh about. Uh, I think the fat shaming oh, is far I, more prevalent. I am not than picking between shaming. the two, Rebecca. I'm sorry, but fat shaming is That's fucking fu- yes. everywhere. Yes, yes. And the thing about this fat suit is, regardless of what they were going for, what ends up happening is that it is so fake to watch, and the movements of her walking in this suit are so fake 
that it becomes a distraction because you're looking at it because you're like, this isn't a normal gait. This isn't how somebody normally walks. This isn't how somebody normally. So it takes away from like any value that somebody somewhere thought, oh, they would get from putting her into this suit, I think is negated by the fact that it just is so obviously fake as you're watching that it's kind of all you can focus on. I mean, for me anyway, I'm just like, here we go again. It reminds me of like that sumo wrestler suits that like people used to put on when they would have like the fake sumo wrestler suits and you'd get into this big like for like, you know, fundraisers or whatever and like do the wrestling because it was just, it just wasn't natural to watch. Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence, guys, about the use of like the prosthetics and the fat suit. It's not like when Eddie Murphy did the clumps in The Nutty Professor. You're just making up a character out of whole cloth. And you say, oh, we're going to make them chubby and it'll be funny. But Which neither, isn't funny. Which isn't funny. Okay. But, you know, Pam isn't like such a popular figure that we already know what she's supposed to look like. She's not Winston Churchill. Right. So Gary Oldman has to put on the makeup and the everything to make him look like that. You don't necessarily need to do that, I guess, with Pam, because it's not a defining characteristic. Does she have to look exactly the same? She she does look so much like Renee Zellweger. She looks a lot more like Pam. The question is, do you need to do that at all? No, because she could be Bridget Jones in a in a in a wig. And Bridget Jones is a fictional fucking character. Yes, played by Rosette. <laughs> Correct. But listen, okay. Jessica Chastain played whoa, that CIA whoa, whoa, person in whoa, Zero Dark whoa, Thirty and looked whoa, nothing like her. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. See, that's my, like Pam. That's my Pam impression. <laughs> you are putting words in my mouth that I did not say. Right. right. Okay. No, uh, I know. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Well, I'm just saying, like, I'm on the fence about that. I understand if she were, like, way more famous, I'd say, yeah, you want Renee to just disappear into this character and the way he looks or she looks, that's what you want to go for. I don't know if it's necessary. Right. But a defining characteristic of Pam even, I mean, but she wasn't like... Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what, the only reason I think that it's possibly troubling is that she's also a comedic, cartoonish right. character. And so then... Does anyone look at Pam Hupp and think, oh, a defining characteristic of her is that she's comedically fat? No. No. No, she's not. A, and B, and even if she were... Like you would maybe like have Renee Zellweger just like puff up for the role and just not say anything about it, but make it to make it a comedic thing is just not fucking cool. And it's also Renee Zellweger is always, I mean, she's never been in a role where she's been overweight. Like whenever I think of Renee Bridget Zellweger, Jones. she seems, is she overweight? Bridget, Bridget Jones. Jones. Yes, that's oh. the whole point of Bridget Jones. All right, never mind. <laughs> but not clinically obese. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I just found myself so distracted by it that it was like. You know, she's kind of acting through her costume. Yeah. I mean, it's like watching Batman or something. And <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I thought it was really distracting. And and I agree. Like the fat shaming thing was horrible. I was just like, what do the maintenance phase people think about this? And I'm sure it's Rebecca not Lavoie good. I think about this is not good. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I will say Bridget Jones, by the way, Renee Zellweger was not fat in Bridget Jones at all. But Renee Zellweger was supposed to be fat in Bridget mm-hmm. Jones. And yeah. America laughed because Renee Zellweger was just like a size six in Bridget Jones. She's Hollywood fat. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. So let's move on. That aside, let's move back to what's interesting about the thing that isn't about the fat stuff. Um, so you were talking, Toby, about the city lawyers. And I do want to talk about the legal stuff in this. Because that fucking DA played by Judy Greer, uh. Laura Bricker, I actually did some, you know, I remember listening to the podcast and I did some sort of digging around after watching this and I'm like, that cannot be what happened. 
That is pretty fucking close to what happened in this case. What do you think about all of that? This DA is like very friendly with this judge and just did not give a fuck. Pam is like literally walking into her office and they're just like, she's ignoring what's right in front of her and continuing to prosecute Russ Faria despite what is literally right in front of her. They all text, they coordinate, making sure the defendant's alibi is sealed. Your Honor, she just accused four people of being complicit to a murder without a sliver of evidence. This goes to planning accomplices. Yeah, I'm going to allow it. You know, it was pretty clear in watching this that her focus was power, re-election, and winning. And also, you know, it did give off this, like, small town, small community vibe where everybody's connected and, you know, there's a lot of backdoor dealings. And so especially that scene where they're at a playground and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, um, the judge and I, yeah, we went to school together and our kids are friends and, like, blah, blah, blah. And and then there was, like, additional scenes like that. They were at an arcade and the same. And she's like, hey, judge. It was maddening to watch at the same time as it was ridiculous because, you know, you you had the one assistant DA who actually was like, hey, you know, maybe we should look at this. She's like, nope, all set, all set. You know, I was glad to see when I did some Googling around that this prosecutor is now facing some heat for these decisions and these actions. But I will say it was played really well. I loved like the severe hairstyle, uh, you know, it just contributed to the overall character and the feeling that you got about that character. But also, what the fuck? Like, prosecutors should know better than that shit. But clearly, they didn't. And unfortunately, some of this contributes to this, like, Midwestern small town stereotype. And that is kind of the unfortunate fallout from this case. When I showed up to be on jury duty in our county, you know, I was being selected for duty and I knew the prosecutor from college, and then the judge was a friend of mine's best friend. I knew the judge in the case where I was the jury foreman, and he came in and he came into the room afterwards. He was like, Rebecca, how'd you like being the foreman on the jury? Hmm. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. It's, you know, small towns, man. <laughs> it is supposed to be if you can put that aside and, you know, objectively and impartially consider the evidence and i think in the show they you know make a good comic fictionalized over dramatized case that yeah that wasn't what happened here by the way there's nothing unethical about a jury foreman knowing the judge it's the prosecutor no. the witnesses the defense attorney or but, a juror drinking in the same bar with the judge and the da and the actual murder drinks yeah i don't know about that kevin what do you think about the cops because the portrayal of the cops oh. they show up at the and that was a portrayal obviously we don't know how that really played out but they show up at the first scene and like it's a classic case of the husband killing the wife. Yeah, yeah. It, it was uh, it was a little brutal. I thought that they decided, yeah, let's just go at it. You, start, you know, when they're, hey, you did Miranda, right? Yeah, you did Mar- <laughs> Miranda, right? Some lady on Sumac got stabbed, I don't know, 20, maybe 60 times. I processed a crime scene myself, and uh, we have the husband here now. You miranda him, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, hold on one second for me, okay? Just hold on one second. That was great. I thought that the DA and her friendship with the judge, like we talked about, was a little nutty. And then we got to, like, give props to Josh Duhamel for his performance as basically the straight man as the defense attorney. And I think that if you watch the Dateline show, you you know, you kind of get the sense that 
yeah, I mean, he he was the guy not only just defending Russ, but also pushing for the truth, not just to get the acquittal for Russ, but also to say, look, all this evidence right in front of you. Like, why are you not looking at this? And he's the guy who I think really helped push uh, the ball downfield on this investigation. I've always been a huge fan of his. I'm not, I don't know if he's still married to pop star Fergie, but he was. I'm not sure if they're still married. I've been a huge fan of his ever since he was on All My Children. Oh, Just okay. going to say it. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of the soaps. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think of the reena- all little reenactments that happen whenever Pam is telling her version of the story? And there's a little like vignette when she's telling her version of the story and then her voice is coming out of the mouths of all the other characters in the reenactment. You know what? It kind of grew on me. The first time I was like, what the heck is this? But it was just, it, it contributed to the overall campy, bizarre, over-the-top, exaggerated telling of this story. It was kind of funny in a way, but it was also like, it, it started to get me, I, the more lies she told in these little vignettes and the more I was watching people be like, oh, okay. And she'd be like, oh, well, then, you know. And Ross is like, I'm going to kill you or whatever. And I'm going to smother you with a pillow. And all these things that that kept coming out, you know, definitely for me added to the like, oh, my God, I started to like, I, I think in this adaptation more than the others, I really felt like this growing like about Pam, like, I can't believe she's still getting away with this. Because the thing about this was like, there's like no big mystery the way that this is told. Like we know from the beginning, like Pam is lying. Pam is up to no good. Pam is shady right from the beginning. So the more that these bizarre reenactments happen that are just so far-fetched and the more people believe them, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. But at the same time, I'm like, ah, they're kind of ridiculous. You know, it's like, (laughs) I'll keep watching. Toby, I don't want to ask you to like psychoanalyze Pam or anything. Like tell us what you think is wrong with her. But this scheme where she's driving around this mobile home park and the plan is, I'm going to pretend to be a Dateline producer to get you to record a voiceover so that I can then murder you and say you were an intruder who was actually the person who committed the first crime or something. What the actual fuck? This is I just keep thinking like what the what are the layers there where you actually think this is going to work? Is that just like white Karen lady like hubris? I mean, that's all I kept thinking. I was like, this is the ultimate in Karen villainy, right? Is Pam? Well, it kind of worked the first time, right? I mean, yeah. it's not like it was <laughs> yeah. like a foolproof plan. I mean, she killed her and then, like, I guess mopped up blood with socks and slippers or something. I mean, I never quite figured out what was going on with that. But that whole thing was just ridiculous. And, you know, so I think she was just like, wow, I got away with it one time. I can do it again. Hmm. And uh, I think she felt like she was smarter, A, than she actually is, and B, than other people. And... uh I don't know. It's weird. Like, if it wasn't based on reality, you'd think it was a stupid way to end it. Yeah. But the fact that it is sort of what happened, it's just sort of a head scratcher. But yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I think she got away with it once. She's like, hey, you know, my plans are so good. How about this one? (laughs) And the fact that Russ ended up marrying that woman that she tried to pick up the first time is bananas. True story. Yeah. And um, one final thing, Kevin. Yeah. Dateline puts itself into the show that it's making about the podcast that's based on their own show episode. Yeah. Thoughts? Okay, well, look, uh, first of all, NBC has squeezed all the juice it possibly can out of (laughs) this orange. And, uh, yeah, unless they want to make a weekly series, The Things About Pam. The Thing About the Thing About the Thing About Pam? Crazy Pam. 
Uh, it's Pam. Yeah, I mean, the snake is really eating itself in a, uh, like, the super meta way. Think about the very last scene, which is Pam in prison watching on TV the thing about Pam. <laughs> and then she turns to the camera and says, oh, yeah, they always get it wrong. Or you can't believe anything, right? See? Told ya. Got it all wrong. You know how they are. There's like breaking the fourth wall right there. And I'm like trying to figure out, is this a joke or is this like them actually poking Pam, the real Pam in the eye about, yeah, we know you're going to watch this. Think it's all bullshit. So we're calling you out on the bullshit right now. Anyway, uh, I thought it was, you know, a great way to sort of end this meta within a meta with NBC doing a thing about NBC that was a thing about NBC. Hmm. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the NBC miniseries, The Thing About Pam, currently streaming everywhere, including places like Hulu and Peacock. It's based on the podcast, The Thing About Pam, which is based on the Dateline episode, The Thing About Pam. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Thing About Pam based on The Thing About Pam based on The Thing About Pam. Well, I'm going to go thumbs up. I'm not going to go. I'm going to go like a tepid thumbs up because you know, there's issues with this, but I'm going to say like, it was super easy to watch. Like I just sat down and I just watched the whole thing. It was ridiculous in the way that it was over the top in the portrayal of Pam with Renee Zellweger. There were all sorts of scenes that were pushing things to the limit with these like almost like Broadway little vignettes with, you know, Pam suddenly at one point dancing. I mean, the, the whole thing was just ridiculous but it was it was again if you like dateline and you have watched the dateline special the thing about pam and you have listened to the dateline podcast about pam you are probably going to like this new nbc version about pam and they could have done away with the fat suit for renee zellweger it was a distraction and i think it was something that didn't need to be done but other than that um it was something that i watched and i would probably watch again so that's my review 
Tell me about what do you think about the thing about Pam? Thumbs up or thumbs down? So I, I think kind of the sort of the gateway is, are you comfortable watching a dark satire about a real life murder? You know, if you can get past that, which, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about whether, whether you can in this case. I, I do think they were smart in focusing on, for the most part, people other than the victim and the victim's family. They play a small part, but they're not like dominantly mentioned. So you're basically looking at these other actors uh, in the case. And I think it's done in a kind of, you know, an interesting and smart way. I think the acting is really good in it. I, I The choices they make are pretty interesting, with the exception of I don't know why all these things feel like they have to have these ridiculous, surreal scenes often around like semi-music videos. videos. And I wish somebody would just give them a little tap on the shoulder and be like, don't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not going to go out, come out the way you think it is. But yeah, so again, I've got I've got like some real questions about whether you have to make something this close to reality and something you've you've already shown in a bunch of different formats. And I think there's other examples of things like uh, To Die For, where it was clear what case they were basing it on, or a thing about another Pam. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, so I'll give it a thumbs up. You know, if it was a little further away from the truth, I, I think I'd be more enthusiastic about it. But I, I think it it's it's interesting. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. I mean, we have pointed out some of the flaws it has. It does sometimes things in the service of comedy that are slightly problematic. But overall, this is a very entertaining six-episode series based on a very entertaining podcast series. There are many different uh, styles and flavors of true crime in the universe. The Pam Hup story, you know, lends itself to some dark comedy, and uh, they they went with it. And, you know, you couldn't do this take on many other crimes, but they did this in a way that, you know, again, I enjoyed binging it. So thumbs up. Yeah, I think, okay, first of all, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Even though there's so many things about it that I, like, on its on paper, like, fat suit thing is super offensive. Uh, I'm very ookily uncomfortable with the portrayal of, like Toby said, the closeness to reality of the crimes and the portrayal of the victims like in real life with their real names and showing the murders portrayed on camera and the body. It's like that stuff is gross. And I always think about like this isn't so it shouldn't be funny. Right. That being said, I think I figured it out why I like this. Pam is not a villain where we can say there's more at work here. Right. Like this is somebody mm-hmm. who's like you know, that we can feel like there might be something else going on, right? This is somebody who objectively got away with a murder and, and put another person in prison for it and then killed like two more people and thought she was going to get away with it. So there is sort of this sense that's kind of rare, I think, in the modern true crime era where we are looking more at like wrongful convictions and injustice, where there is something that is like a little bit satisfying about seeing someone who kind of deserves it get their comeuppance, especially when they are responsible for a wrongful conviction. And it's almost like a relief to like have a little bit of dark humor around it. So maybe that's why I enjoy this a little bit. Also, I'm just so fucking thrilled that Toby Ball gave a thumbs up to something that has Keith Morris's voice. In. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I did, by the way, love the fact that he kind of dropped in and narrated this thing. So this thing is weird as fuck. And I completely agree with everyone out there who hates it. Like you can hate it if you want. And there are a lot of things about it that I hated. But in the end... I really enjoyed watching it. So 
Yeah, fuck it. Thumbs up for me for the thing about Pam. And now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. It's official. Guinness World Records says an Esco, Minnesota family of five is the tallest family in the world. Does Toby belong to this family? No. The Titanic Trap family measures in at an average of six feet eight inches. Mom and dad are six three and a half and six eight respectively. Their daughters are six eight and six six, while their son tops out at seven feet three inches. It took a year to get Guinness to officially declare them the record holders. Savannah Trapp says growing up that tall had its challenges, like ceiling fans. But they say people should embrace who they are and, quote, rock what you got. Panel. This Brobdingnagian brood should celebrate their win. What will the world's tallest family do this weekend? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I think they're going to go to Durham, New Hampshire and play some hoops with Toby Ball. Mm. Oh, that's a very, very good... Dunk on Toby! Yeah, Toby Ball, what do you think the world's tallest family should do this weekend? Limbo contest. Oh. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think? I think that they need to clean the gutters without a ladder. Oh, well, that's a very good guess, Kevin. Perhaps they should come over to that at our house since our gutters are pretty <clears throat> fucking clogged. All right, well... Do you want a podcast or do you want clean gutters? <laughs> Kiss my ass, Rebecca. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, can I come over and clean your gutters this weekend? How can they reach out to you on Twitter? That sounds sort of sexual. Does, um, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, it looks really bad. I am really at Laura Bricker. <laughs> uh, guys, that's, that's, want, that's a you who thing. Who wants to clean out Laura's gutters? If you think that sounds sexual, that is a you thing, no, not a me thing. That's a you thing, Rebecca. Laura Bricker, what did you say your Twitter handle was? Uh, it's at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if you want to get volunteers to clean your gut, no, fuck it. Toby Ball, if you want folks to reach out to you and ask if you're okay, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if you want folks to reach out to you so you can clean their gutters, how can they find you on Twitter? You can twist my spigot at Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our amazing community in our official Facebook group. Just look for Crime Writers On on Facebook. When you find our page, join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast. Podcast, Laura Bricker's amazing Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the genius Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we take long, loud sips of our convenience store soda, fountain beverages with cherry squirts. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Are you at all disappointed about the lack of sex in season two of Bridgerton? Yes, I am. I mean, they made us wait until like the last episode. Pretty and it tantric, was no- huh? And it was nowhere near as racy as season one was. I mean, I wasn't having any like homoerotic dreams about it. Is that even a word? <laughs> it is a word. I don't know. It's two words. It is a word. Which one? Dreams or homoerotic? I don't know, but I wasn't having any dreams about season two of Bridgerton like I did of season one. So I don't know. That's saying something. Huh. Uh, Rebecca's like, did you watch season one, Rebecca? It was pretty sexy. I did. I, I did. I hear though that in season three, they're going to be able to do over the clothes stuff. <laughs> Thank you.
Crime Crime Media. Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.